0: Seat. I received a note at the break. It's one of the best notes I've received. This note says, and I don't know if you guys can see the writing. You see that? This is for Leo, because some eyes aren't as good as others. This is from Ruslan, and he put down here, Ruslan, Jacob Usharov, I want to be baptized. Isn't that great? How old is Ruslan? Is he like seven, six, seven? Yeah. But I mean, he's agonized over this, he's talked to me a couple times, he's talked to his parents, and he knows he's a believer, he's accepted Jesus, and he just wants to make sure about it. And so after last week, he came and said, yeah, I'd like to be baptized or baptized. <clears throat> Isn't that cool? I did remember what I wanted to do before the break, and uh, I don't know why it slipped my mind, uh, other than that my mind is often a sieve. Um, we have a lot of folks in the church who are sick, a lot. Uh, over the last few weeks, Karen has been kind of keeping track, and we've had like 50 or more people out of church because of sickness the last three weeks in a row. I mean, 50 each week. And so that's a lot of sickness going around, and some of them are, you know, really suffering and struggling with the sicknesses. Some of it started out as abdominal issues, uh, gastrointestinal issues. Then it became kind of like a... uh, Uh, A flu type thing, cold, uh, it's been hard on people. And then there are others in our church that are just struggling with some other things that are going on, Uh, and so I think it would be good if we actually joined together and prayed for those among us who are not feeling well. So, if you're able and willing, if you're not, that's okay, I understand it can be awkward, but if you happen to be next to your kids or your spouse, that makes it easy, would you grab the hand of the person next to you? Just as an agreement, if it's a friend, it's even better. (laughs) I don't know why it's better, but let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the truth that regardless of our physical state right now, you are always our healer. And you heal all our diseases. That's your promise, your word is true. And even though we struggle and we fight against sickness at times, we lay hold to the truth that is higher than the facts. The fact might be I feel sick, but the truth is you are my healer. And so, Lord, we put our complete trust in you. We're grateful for doctors. We're grateful for uh, the doctors in our area who are able to diagnose and prescribe medication for each need. We're grateful for the care that they afford. We're grateful for the way in which people pitch in and help and do food and care for kids. We're grateful for all of that. But our hope, our trust is in you. So I ask you in Jesus' name that you would send forth your spirit and heal all of the diseases that have permeated our church. Some are sick today, not even able to get out of bed. Some have to lay flat. Some, some are uh, Just in great pain and difficulty, having trouble breathing, Uh, we pray for healing and strength and wholeness in Jesus' name. We declare the name that is greater than all other names over every single person and even over the sickness itself, that you who are the Lord can speak a word and heal them right now. So I ask for healing and that they would be raised up off of their sickbed and able to be with us next week and able to be able to enjoy week throughout this whole week, to be able to enjoy life together. I pray healing and I believe you for it, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. I encourage you to keep praying for your friends and family and appreciate your help, uh, the way in which you guys care for one another, uh, I, I don't post very often on Facebook, but I do stalk it, and uh, I have watched some of you guys as you have posted, you know, things that you're doing for one another, and I think it's a good thing to be part of the family. Uh, I confess that I found myself this week in a bit of a quandary. Uh, I actually met with the elders, and I shared with them, which I don't normally do, I shared with them quite a bit about what I felt was the word that God gave me to preach for this Sunday. And I worked on that sermon, I honed it again and again, because although I believe the Word is authority in and of itself, I believe that my words, as I preach them, are intended to bring the Word into greater light for people. So I I care a lot about the Word, and I care a lot about words. I think they matter. So I, I was ready for that. I actually had printed it out, and it was on my desk. And then on Friday... I listened to a pastor preach a message on this same passage. And I thought to myself, this is not the way I would approach it. But this is a great introduction to what I felt. So what I have done, I I agonized over it. I talked to Karen about it. I prayed. And so Saturday, about uh, well, I came home from the funeral. We got home probably around noonish, one o'clock. About that time, I hustled and I agonized and I began to write a new sermon. So I felt like I wanted to borrow this pastor's three points. I'll make it my own sermon, but I'm borrowing his three points, which I thought are, again, a good kind of lead in to what I feel is the word of the Lord for next week. So I want to encourage you to listen today. This is going to be a briefer message. It's going to be an introduction. But I encourage you, and I don't normally do this, but I'm asking you sincerely to try to make your best effort to be here next Sunday, because I believe it is a word from the Lord. It's been stirring inside of me. In fact, the word that I want to preach next week, I was actually uh, taken out of bed in order to go right. And I don't normally do that, by the way, but that just happened to be the case. So we're going to look at John 15, if you want to turn there. John 15. And I want to talk to you about the key to success. The key to success. John 15, and beginning in verse 1. I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit. Now, this is not what I'm going to deal with, but I want you to think about the truth that this particular procedure can look and feel awfully close to the same. If it's not bearing fruit, he takes it away. If it's bearing fruit, he cuts it away. And it can feel very close to the same. And we have to have a discerning eye and heart. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now, today I want to emphasize one simple truth as a lead-in to next week, which is that I believe God wants us to lead successful lives. But the way in which God defines success might be different than the way we define success. Most often, if you think about the world, they they define success by... Well, you tell me. What do they define success by? What? Money. What else? Huh? Status, Status, power, education, your job, uh, your position. All those kinds of things are how the world defines success. I would suggest to you that God wants you to be successful. But His definition of success are not those things. And if you run after those things, if you climb the ladder of success that the world's put up, when you get to the top, you'll find out you've been leaning against the wrong building. And it's not going to please you at all. God defines success as fruitfulness. And I want you to see this as a a picture that goes up. I want you to see that when God talks about success, and you want to get on the road to success, what he's really talking about is He wants you to be a fruitful person. I mean, look back at verse 8 for a second. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. What brings God glory? Your fruitfulness. So, God wants us to lead successful lives, but he measures that by how much fruit we bear. God wants our marriages to be fruitful. He wants our jobs to be fruitful. He wants everything about you to become a purveyor of His glory, which you do by exhibiting the fruit that He puts in your life. And if I could broaden that just a little bit, God wants your ministry to be fruitful. Because whether you realize it or not, every single one of you sitting here today is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might not have some credential that goes with a little card that you put in your wallet to say that you have been licensed or ordained or whatever credential you're holding, but you are still nonetheless a minister of the gospel. You show forth the glory of God in everything that you do. You might have a job as a mechanic or as a nurse or a teacher or an engineer, but that job is simply the vehicle which God has given to you in order to do the work of the ministry. That's all it is. So, God wants every one of us with our gifts, our anointings, our callings, our ministry, God wants us to be a success at it, and the way in which we're a success is that His fruit might be demonstrated in our life. So what I want to do very briefly is I want to give you three keys to living a successful life. And again, this is very, very basic, it's very simple, but I think it's a great introduction to that which is going to be so much deeper Next week, it's kind of like this week we're going to just kind of wade in and get our feet wet. Next week, I want us to go swimming in the truth that God has. So number one, the first key is the secret of fruitfulness is abiding. Seven times, just in those first eight verses, Jesus uses the word abide. Look at verses four and five again. Abide in me and I in you. And if I could say it as an English person would say it, Abide in me, and I abide in you. As the branch cannot, think about that, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So he's saying, you can't be fruitful unless you abide. So the secret to fruitfulness, the secret to success, as God defines success, is abiding. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I abide in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Did you catch that? What, what is it that you can do without him? Now, that word nothing is a really fancy word it, it, it actually is two words put together to make one. W- what are the two words? No thing. You can do no thing without Him. I, I did a word study on this once, uh, and the Greek word for this word is the word oude. Ude. I put it up here just so that you can see and that you can feel smart about it. When somebody asks somebody, say, they say, how's your day? You say, oude. The word oude in the Greek literally means nothing, not even one thing. Or to quote my grandson Caleb, it's no way. No way you can give any kind of fruit in your life if you don't abide in God. It's almost like Jesus is afraid that you're not going to get how this works. So look at verse 5 again. It's almost like there's an unspoken prelude to verse 5. When you look at verse 5, it's almost like he's saying, he he says in verse 4, Abide in me, I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then verse 5. Read my lips. I am the vine. You are the branches. And unless you, the branch, abides in the vine, you can't bear much fruit. In other words, this whole thing works only if we learn how to abide in Him. So, Get that into your heart and mind. Without God, without Jesus, without the active working of the Holy Spirit, your marriage won't succeed. Without God, you won't succeed at your job. Without Him, you won't succeed financially. Without the Holy Spirit, you won't have good relationships. Without a deep and abiding relationship with God, nothing in your life will really bear fruit or succeed. And that's the fact, Jack. You can't help it. Without abiding, you get no fruit. And you contrast that, by the way, with Philippians 4.13, which says, through Christ I can do all things. So the formula is very simple. Without Christ, nothing. With Christ, all things. That's the formula that God gives us for this section. And so when people, and by the way, I've got to tell you, I've been around a while now. People read that Philippians four thirteen verse, and they use it and misuse it so badly, it's almost sad. Uh, through Christ, you can do all things. So what happens? You're, you're a young kid, a young, let, let's say a young guy, because that's what I was. You're a young guy, and you've got a test today. You didn't bother studying because you were having too much fun playing video games. So on your way to school, on the bus that morning, you pray and you say, God, you said I can do all things through you, so I'm asking you to help me to pass this test. I want to suggest to you, that's a pretty gross perversion of that Scripture. What it better means is, God, your Word promises that if I will apply myself to listen to that which the teacher teaches, And if I will do my homework and I will prepare for this test and I will spend time with you praying, you will help me to do well on this test and I trust you for that. That's a much better translation of that verse in terms of our practical lives. So through Christ, all things. Without Christ, no things. Without a deep abiding relationship with Jesus, you're not going to have any fruit. And by the way, think about the fruit. The fruit is called, in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not your fruit, it's His fruit. It's God's character being lived out through you. You can't work it up and you can't sustain it for long. I mean, how, how many of you have ever prayed and asked God for patience? Come on, if you're a parent, you have, and you know you have. You're about ready to kill the kid and you say, God, give me patience. You grit your teeth, and you purpose to be patient today, and that works great until someone does something stupid in traffic, and then you lose your patience. Real fruit of the Spirit goes beyond your circumstances because it comes from God. That's what it's all about. So if I want true joy, if I want true peace in my life, which are the fruit of the Spirit, I have to spend time abiding with Him. Um, what, What does abiding with Him look like? The the best way I could think of it on a simple level is this. Uh, Let's say you you went to visit the Orange Aprons uh, up at Home Depot, and uh, you're there, you're you're an employee. Like my son Jeremy, when he was at Roberts working on his uh, second bachelor's, uh, he was an Orange Apron. And so people come in, Jeremy's there working, and a guy walks up to him. He's holding a receipt in one hand and a hose in the other hand, and he said, I'd like to return this. What's Jeremy going to say? He's going to say, sure, no problem, I'm here to help you. Is there a problem with the hose? And the guy's going to say, yeah, I bought this, and right on on the package it says water hose. I took it home, I took it out of the package, I unrolled it, and I held it over my plants, and nothing happened. I shook that thing, I hit the ground with it, I put the other end over the plants, no water. It's defective advertising. This isn't a water hose, this is an air hose, because the only thing that comes out of it is air. What might Jeremy ask him? Did you hook it up to the hose bib? Did you hook it up to the source? And I want to suggest to you that we're no different than a water hose or an electric cord. The only way it's going to work is if we hook ourselves up to the power source. And that's really what abiding is all about. In the natural, you have to hook up to the hose bib. Well, in the spiritual, he says, you hook up with me, you're going to have rivers of living water flowing through you. That's his promise. God is saying the same thing to us. If we don't connect and abide in him, we're not going to be able to produce the flow of the fruit of the spirit. So number one, the secret of success or the secret of fruitfulness is abiding. But number two, the secret of abiding is obedience. Look at verse ten. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Look at verse twelve. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Verse seventeen. These things I command you, that you love one another. All throughout Scripture, Jesus and God, the Father, uses this term, command and obedience. And here, Jesus links in verse 10, our obedience with abiding. He says, if you obey my commandments, if you keep them, you will abide in my love. And notice, Jesus, I don't know, I think he has a God complex because he doesn't use the politically correct terms that you're supposed to use these days. He doesn't say, I'd like to make some suggestions to you. I have 10 suggestions for you. He doesn't say, I have some things I'd like you to consider if, if it feels right to you. He says, I command you. He I don't know, he thinks he's God and he has a right to say this. So his command is, obey. Obey. And there's not a parent here that hasn't said to your kids, if you would just obey, life would go so much easier for you and for me. If you don't obey him, and what he's made clear, you will never have confidence in your right An ability to abide in his presence disobedience erodes our confidence in our relationship with God now think about it for a moment how many times have you over the years done something stupid you've blown it maybe Sunday morning you get up and uh Normally, everything goes smoothly. The kids all get dressed without a problem. You've got their clothes laid out the night before, so everything goes really smoothly. Your wife gets up and she makes breakfast for everybody and it's pancakes and eggs and bacon. And I'm hungry. Um, and normally everything goes great. You're a very spiritual family. But this Sunday you get up and it seems like Your kids have become demon-possessed. They just go nuts. Everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Your wife burns the pancakes and has to throw them out. you got no eggs left because you had them last night because you were hungry for a late-night snack. Everything goes wrong, and you end up blowing up at your wife, blowing up at your kids, and saying things that you know in your heart of hearts you should never say. You were unkind. You were actually mean. And then you come to church. And during worship, while everything is still stewing in you, and you feel as unworthy as you can possibly feel, to your shock, God drops a word in your heart. Now tell me the truth. Isn't there a huge part of you that thinks, I can't give that word after I've blown it so bad today? This is just ridiculous. God can't speak to me when I've been this kind of a jerk. See, disobedience erodes our confidence in being able to abide in the Lord. Now, there's a verse that I want you to get. And by the way, let me clarify. I don't say that that's how you should think. I'm saying Jesus understood our human propensity to think that way. And that's why he said, obedience will help you with your abiding. The truth is, even if you've blown it, Jesus has covered that already by his blood. You just need to confess it, and then you need to be obedient to give the word he gives to you anyways. That's why I I, I regularly say to spouses sitting together, listen, would you give your spouse the freedom to just worship God today? I know maybe you weren't nice to each other on the way here, but is it going to help if you just stand there stiff like a board and do nothing? Is that really going to help your marriage? How about you actually worship and let worship soften your hearts where you might then come back together and say, listen, I was wrong. I'm sorry for ever having spoken to you that way. You are the treasure of my life. Would you forgive me? Maybe worship can actually soften the soil of your heart. So the way to respond is not just to kind of hide in shame. The way to respond is to say, God, I don't deserve this, but you've given it, and I'm going to be faithful to give it anyways. And I'm going to receive your forgiveness as I bring it before you. There's a verse that uh, I think has a profound principle for us, and it's Galatians 6-7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And let me suggest to you, there are many Christians that I know of who believe that that's an old covenant concept. That's an old principle. Well, yeah, I did bad things before I became a Christian, but now that I'm a Christian, God should wipe away all the consequences for all the bad things I did. And they actually believe that. But I would suggest to you that it was Paul the Apostle in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, who actually wrote that principle. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. So there are in our lives consequences that we bear because of the things that we have done in our past. But here's the principle that Paul is also laying about. Though you might have done some dumb things in the past for which you still bear consequence, maybe financially you made some bad decisions, and you're still bearing the consequence of that. But here's the great news. Paul is saying if you will begin to bear or sow good seed right now, in time, you will yield a good harvest. You just have to keep at it. In fact, just two verses later, he says, don't grow weary in doing this. Don't get tired of it because you don't see an immediate result. No farmer goes out into his field, plants something today, and expects a crop tomorrow. He knows it's going to take some time. So though you might have some things in your past that were disobedience, in fact, Paul says at one point we used to be children of disobedience, but now we're children of obedience. He's put something inside of us to cause us to want to do him. Now, if you're like me, you might be saying, well, I like the idea of fruitfulness has to do with abiding, Pastor. But if you're saying abiding has to do with obedience, I'm not so good with that because I'm not so good at obedience. I tend to kind of do my own thing sometimes. Uh, I, I don't do well. I, I feel like most times I'm more like Paul in Romans 6 when that which I don't want to do, I do. That which I want to do, I don't do. So I've got this whole obedience thing going on. Uh, in fact, early on in my life, the honest truth is, uh, if, if someone had told me, this is the one thing you can't do, that was probably the one thing I would do. I would make a point of it just to see what would happen. And and that caused some consequences in my life. But the good news is this. The answer to abiding is obedience. But the answer to obedience, number three, the key to obedience is abiding. And I know, that sounds circular, doesn't it? It sounds kind of backwards. But have you discovered yet that a lot of the things that God does are backwards from this world? Have you figured that out yet? Um, Last Sunday, we did membership, and Michaela got a gift. Uh, It's one of my favorite books of all time. For a long time, when people would say to me, what's the one book, if you could name one book, people would read other than the Bible, what would it be? It was that book for a long time. It's a book by a guy who is a sociologist, a Christian sociologist out of the Philadelphia, Pittsburgh area. And uh, he made a decision to take the rest of his life, move to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, to study the Amish. That was his whole life then, from that point on. And he wrote a book called The Upside-Down Kingdom. And he talks in the book about how everything that Jesus declares is upside down from this world. Think about it. Jesus says, if you want to receive, you must give. If you want to save your life, you must lose your life. Uh, he says, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom, you must become the servant or the least of all. Everything's backwards. It's like, You've got to flip things around. And that's what I want to do today. I want you to get in your mind that the secret to fruitfulness is abiding. The secret to abiding is obedience. But you can't get obedience unless you abide. And that's one of the truths that he espouses here. I've lived long enough to know that uh, God's wisdom is greater than the wisdom of this world. Um, I was talking with uh, Pastor Jonathan yesterday as we were coming home from um, the funeral, uh, Leo Compagna's wife's funeral. And uh, on the way home, uh, we were talking about a couple of kids that grew up with uh, him when he was in high school. One of them was always in trouble. I mean, always in trouble being like in jail trouble. Even as a high schooler, that kind of in trouble. And he's the kind of kid that would say, no one's going to tell me what to do No one's in charge of me. I'm my own boss. Do you know what I've discovered in life? The kids that say that usually either end up in jail or in the military. Because somewhere or other, you're going to have somebody who's over you. Because when you're a kid, you want nobody to tell you. You can't wait till you're grown up and you can be in charge of your own life. And you find out no one's really in charge of your own life. You always have somebody over you. You always have either a boss or somebody who's a covering for you. And most of all, you have God who is over you. And so all of this stuff works in us. To abide, to obey, to abide. What's it mean? It means that you and I don't have the ability to obey if we don't also abide. Our power comes from spending time with Him. The closer I get to Him, the more obedient I am. Uh, I was talking with Karen recently. And uh, like, like any other person sitting in this room, there are things that I did in my life that were stupid things, dumb things, sinful things, attitudes, words, mindsets, behavior. But one of the things I've noticed is that the longer I walk with God, those aren't the things that bother me anymore. I'm not doing I don't have to worry about swearing. I don't think about it anymore. I don't have to worry about a lot of other things that are not on my chart. Now, they're inward things, thoughts, attitudes, beliefs. Those are the things that God's working on. The longer I walk with God, the less issue of disobedience is there. And there's a reason for that. Look at Jeremiah 31 for a minute. It's one of my favorite portions, actually. Jeremiah 31, 31. It's a good way to remember it. Jeremiah 31, 31. God says this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Here's the covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. And now, by the way, he's talking about you. Because Paul tells us in Romans, we are new Israel. This is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, in the past, I was prone to disobedience. Now I believe because God has come to live in me. He has written his law on my mind and in my heart. I am prone far more towards obedience than disobedience. I am prone to follow Him. And if that's not wonderful enough, that that external edict that God had given, He now makes it an internal compulsion inside of us. If that's not enough, Paul tells us in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. So it's not just that He writes it in you. He actually gives you the will, the desire to do it. So that when David the psalmist says, God will give you the desires of your heart, I used to think that meant, God, I have a lot of wishes. I'd like you to give me my wishes. That's not what that verse means at all. It means He's going to take the desires that He has for your life and He's going to plant them in your heart so that you have His desires. That's His promise to us. Before you were a Christian, you just didn't care too much about what people thought. You didn't care what God thought. You did your own thing. But now that you're a Christian, isn't it true there's something in your heart that wants to follow him, wants to obey him, wants to get this right, doesn't want to blow it? I want my marriage to work. I want my kids to love and serve God. I want you to love and serve God. I think those are good desires. I think those are good things to pray into. That comes because God lives in here, and I abide in his presence. The longer you walk with him, the more you want to obey him. Now, next week I want to go in a completely different direction, kind of. Um, different kind of direction, at least. I want to go a whole lot further than when I went today, a whole lot further. This is like the simplest briefest of uh, introductions, but I thought it was a good way to lead into what I want to do. And here's why. It would be really easy for you to listen to me next week. It's kind of like, have you ever heard somebody preach a message on grace and when they got done, you thought, oh, what that means is I can do anything I want. It doesn't matter. Next message could be kind of like that. But I wanted to start here because I think this is a good foundation that you don't think this is all about sitting back in your easy chair and doing nothing because it's all on God. And if it doesn't work, it's God's fault. No, you have a responsibility to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to give this as an introduction to next Sunday. There's a psalm that says something like, the Lord is our shield and our butler, or something like that. Right? Okay. <laughs> you ever get out there so far and you realize I'm all alone? <laughs> Actually, the scripture doesn't say that. The shield is right. The butler part is not right. He says he's our shield and buckler. He's not our butler. He doesn't have a towel around his arm just to wait on your every whim. He has a desire for your life. And that's why I wanted to give this as a foundation for next Sunday. So, here Jesus makes it clear that real success in life is directly related to our fruitfulness in Him. And that fruitfulness only comes as we abide in Him. And as we abide in Him, it will produce the fruit of obedience which drives us to a greater sense of His abiding presence. And that, by the way, is the circle of life, not what the Lion King said. This is the circle of life that he gives to us. Now, I want to end there today. This was short, it was simple, but that's our prelude. And again, I, I, I rarely do this, but I want to strongly encourage you that if at all possible, you be here next week for what I believe honestly was and is the word of God to us. So would you stand with me? you bow your heads father we come today so grateful for your presence that dwells within us christ in us the hope of glory i thank you for that i thank you for your abiding presence and that you produce in us the fruit of the spirit Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. All of that you produce within us. And Lord, we want to become more and more fruit bearers in order that our Father might be glorified. And we know that part of the way we do that is that as we abide in your presence, you give us power to obey you. And as we obey, you produce more fruit which drives us to want to spend more time abiding in you in you and us. So I thank you for this word today, Lord, and pray that it would be a challenge and an encouragement to each one and that as it is, we would begin to pray into it towards next week and what you have to say to us for that. Lord, let us become fruit bearers in a rich and full way. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless